Hi everyone, this is Mark Walberton, Managing Director of Pioneer Search, um, and we're here today to uh, run our first podcast uh, talking about the off-payroll legislation change of IR35. I'm joined by Joe Tully, uh, Managing Director of Brooks and Legal Services, and we're here to go over the IR35 um, legislation changes for April 2020. Um, I first met Joe uh, at an APSCO dinner um, um, over at, uh, a couple of months ago, and um, Brooks and were kindly sponsoring the evening yep. and um, hosted that, that. It was very interesting. We spent the evening talking about R35. We did, indeed. Um, and uh, I decided to then talk about more interesting things at that yes, point uh, for the evening. Um, we thought it'd be a great idea to get together. Uh, Joe's an expert in this space uh, with his uh, business, Brooks and, and, um, and see if we can get your view on things today. Um, I thought it'd be nice just to start off with my uh, side of this. Um, I joined the industry when IR35 very first came into place in 2000. So that, at that point, I was in a company, a, a major IT recruiter at the time, and the directors of my company would openly discuss um, IR35, how it was going to change contracting, the face of contracting, how less contractors would be hired, more permanent people would be recruited, um, and how the face of our industry at that time was going to change. And um, what I realized at the time, and I'm having my own business now, is that the recruiters there, all they were excited about was the fact that they had a computer that they could now email CVs to people <laughs> about. Um, and they were using Windows 98 to communicate with people. And they had nothing, they had no wiser. They didn't really realize that what this change was going to be. And I've, um, 20 years down the line, I've realized there hasn't actually been, when we talk about IR35, actually a massive change. No. So it, it, it hasn't had this impact that people thought it would. And so 20 years down the line, I'm now the director talking to my recruiters about how things are fundamentally going to change and how we think that there will be different ways that people will hire, will there be uh, a greater use of permanent resources? And I look at my recruiters now and they're all they're excited about is using LinkedIn and, and all the new modern ways of recruiting that, that 20 years ago we were experiencing. Mm. So I wonder in 20 years time, will we be talking about this change as if I was looking at it 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, Mark. And I think we might have talked about this at the APSCO dinner. You know, there's a lot of scaremongering out there at the moment about um, about these new rules and, you know, the, the, the worst scaremongering is talking about the end of contracting and yep. nonsense like that. You know, flexible working is very much on the up. It, it's the future. You know, nothing's going to change that. Legislation's not going to change that. And uh, I think these new rules are, are just the latest bump in the road. You know, we've had AWR, we've had the offshore intermediaries rules, onshore intermediaries rules. This is the latest bump in the road. You know, there's a challenge here for everybody now over the next 12 months or so. But the industry will will, will, will meet that challenge. And, um, and as you say, we'll, we'll largely carry on as before in the long run. Fine. So what I wanted to do is just really go over some of the key things for our listeners today. Um, some um, about the history of R35, um, what's going to happen in the future, what your what your view from a legal perspective actually is. So for people who haven't been in the industry as long as you or I, um, what is R35? Okay, so, um, so a quick introduction to it. So R35 is tax legislation. As, as you said, Mark, it was introduced in April 2000. It was Gordon Brown's reaction then to the growing trend at the end of the 90s of, uh, of employees leaving their work on a Friday and coming back in on a Monday sitting in the same seat and saying, I'm, I'm now self-employed and please pay me gross into the limited company I've set up over the weekend. Um, and, and what it says in essence, and what it has said for, for all of its life, up until the public sector changes two years ago, is that if I am, uh, if I am a, a temporary worker and I'm providing my services through an intermediary, and in most cases that means a one-man personal, uh, a one-man limited company, a, a personal service company, 
What I should be doing at the end of the tax year is looking back over the services that I provided in the, in the tax year just gone um, and taking an objective view of whether or not on a, uh, an assignment by assignment basis I was genuinely self-employed or on the other hand was the way in which I provided my services in, in one of the, or more of those assignments more like an employment type relationship or what HMRC calls um, disguised employment. If it's the former, if I was genuinely self-employed, then I can you know, receive uh, gross payments into my PSC. I can take much of my income as dividends for my personal service company, which is tax advantageous to, to being an employee or pay, paying employment taxes. If it's the latter, if I'm really, if my relationship with my hire is more like an employment type relationship, um, then the law says I should be paying employment taxes. So that's IR35 in a nutshell. Um, and for, for most of its life, up until 2017, when it changed in the public sector, that's, that's pretty much what it said. In the public sector, um, it now, the rules now say that it's the public sector hirer who has to make this employment status determination for tax. And uh, in the private sector next year, that, that same change is coming. And the reason for that change is because it's uh, HMRC's view that the IR35 rules uh, are not being applied properly by personal service companies, by contractors, and that many contractors, for, for whatever reason, are, are treating themselves as self-employed when a correct analysis, in HMRC's view, of the way they provide the services would mean that they should be paying employment taxes. Okay, great. You've mentioned public sector a number of times um, here, and from a recruitment industry's perspective, um, I guess I specialise, Pioneer Search specialises in the private sector. Mm -hmm. We've seen our counterparts in the public sector, the changes that's happened there. We've seen it purely from a job market perspective, the amount of public sector contractors that have been trying to apply for uh, the private sector. Um, so in, from a legal perspective, what's been the major uh, impact of the, of the rollout in the last two years in the, in the public sector? Well, you know, you operate in the in the private sector, Mark, as you've said. So the private sector, I guess, has the advantage of, uh, well, a couple of advantages. One is that it's effectively been given 18 months to get ready for, for these changes from um, last October's budget. And the second is there's some learning to take from the public sector as well. So both of those things should benefit the private sector in addressing these changes. So what we saw in the public sector was, as I say, public sector given much less time, about six months or so to get ready for the changes. Um, the public sector naturally quite risk averse, um, lots of screaming and pulling of hair and lots of, on reflection, bad decision making in the public sector and a number of public uh, authorities went down so-called blanket ban or, or blanket assessment routes just because they thought that was the simplest and, and most risk averse thing to do uh, for a number of reasons, legal, commercial, operational, it wasn't a good idea um, and most of them have reversed out of that. Um, I think the lesson from the public sector for the private sector is is to step up to the mark and, and do it properly. You know, I don't think there's a silver bullet out there, and I think all the private sector businesses can do is to get the right advice and 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 just apply the rules as, as best they can. You know, we've seen some learning in the public sector again about how contractors reacted. You've mentioned Mark that some contractors moved to the private sector, which indeed they did. There's now a levelling of playing field, so that option's not not open. Some contractors who have particularly sought after skill sets have sought to renegotiate their, their charge rates with their agencies and with their public sector hirers. I'm sure, well, we are seeing that in the, in the private sector now. Um, many contractors have just, you know, grinned and bared it, well, grinned and borne it, I should say, and um, have moved into, um, you know, have moved into a PAYE form of engagement with their hirer, either by being employed directly by the hirer or, or perhaps moving to umbrella employment onto an agency payroll 
but yeah, there's, there's, if you look if you look uh, closely enough and get the right advice, there is learning to be had from the public sector. Right. Okay. So, what do, what do you think uh, will be the early stage impacts of the private sector? So, for, for the first say six months, what do you think we will see? Unfortunately, well, I think we'll see um, lots of confusion. Mm. So, um, you know, I've spent the last um, eighteen months or so going around talking to private sector businesses, private sector agencies about these rules. Um, Fortunately, many businesses, many agencies have been quite slow to react, but they are reacting now. You know, we've got we've only got seven or eight months to go now until the change happens, so we are running out of time. Um, I think we are going to see an, a number of businesses kind of ready for the change and uh, advertising roles as inside and outside well ahead of April of next year. Other businesses are playing catch up. And what we'll doubtless see is many private sector contractors challenging decisions made by, made by their hirers. Before we go on to the, to the next point, actually, coming back to the public sector, has um, has HMRC challenged any decisions successfully yet around this new uh, the new legislation within the public sector? Um, not as such that I'm aware. So the the, the public sector rules are, are now sort of playing themselves out in terms of HMRC. So um, you know we're expecting to see some some outcomes from HMRC challenges and tribunals in the not too distant future. What we do know is happening in the public sector is that HMRC has been writing to a number of public sector hirers, asking them you know basically what what have they done? You know what approach have they taken? And this all goes to the essence of the legislation because the new rules say that hirers, whether you're public sector or private sector, must take reasonable care in applying that in applying the new rules. Now, what does that mean? Well, unfortunately, um, the legislation doesn't define what reasonable care means in the in the context of IR35. Um, but but if you look elsewhere in what HMRC have said previously about reasonable care and ever in ever tax matters, what they expect is for the is for the uh, the individual or the entity who's subject to the test to step up to the mark, and the and the level, the standard of test they will apply. It's the standard that's appropriate for that individual entity. So what that means in, in more simple terms is that if you are a, a private sector business or a, you know, a big private sector business, HMRC will probably take the view that you've got uh, your profitable business, you've got considerable financial and human resources, and, you, and you should, you're expected to get this right. Uh, and the significance of this reasonable care test is that um, if, you, if you can persuade HMRC that you have done everything that could be expected of you, that you've, you've used reasonable care, then you're largely de-risked in terms of tax liability. If, on the other hand, you can't persuade them you took reasonable care, then uh, as, the, as, as the private sector hirer, you are uh, exposed to uh, a tax risk for any unpaid tax in your contractor workforce. And what we're seeing now from HMRC in respect of the public sector is letters to public sector hires, which are basically testing whether or not those public sector hirers have taken reasonable care. Right, okay. So uh, the, what, what's the advice or the challenge perhaps for agencies right now? What, what advice is, is Brooks and Legal Services giving out to its agencies you support? Yeah, it's interesting with agencies because um, my view is that the legislation should make clear that if a, if a hirer, the end client, takes reasonable care and the agency then follows the determination of, of that private sector client, then the agency should have no risk. Now, unfortunately, the legislation doesn't quite say that. The legislation still leaves agencies uh, with some exposure. And, you know, why is that? Well, we can all speculate, but I suppose it gives HMRC more targets to go up, potentially, doesn't it? 
Um, and what that means is that agencies, so, so the conversations we have with agencies kind of fall into two types, really. We speak to a number of agencies who want to talk to us about how they can change their contracts to further limit their exposure, perhaps pass the risk or seek an indemnity from their clients. Um, and I understand that, it's perfectly natural and it's probably the right thing to, to try to do. But what we always say to agencies is that their focus at the moment, with seven or eight months to go, should be upon helping their clients to step up to the mark, to take reasonable care, to put these processes in place, to get the right advice. Because if they do all of that, they achieve two things really. One is that they demonstrate themselves as the sort of compliance partners of their clients, and that can only be good for business. And secondly, if they can help their clients to put the right policies, processes in place, to take reasonable care, well, even though the legislation might not give them a clear out at that point, they, they de-risked themselves again, haven't they? Because by the, by the clients doing the right thing, um, doing the assessments as best they can, um, there's much less chance of there being any liability uh, with regard to tax in the contractor workforce. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the, the hirer, the agency, the sector, um, the contractor themselves, you know, uh, Pioneer Search, we, we work at a, a very highly specialised uh, end of the contractor marketplace. Um, so we see one of a number of types of people coming to it. The first time, highly skilled uh, permanent resources looking to contract for the first time. What I would refer to as seasoned contractors who've been doing it for, for as long as I've been in the industry. Uh, or for people who perhaps are, have found themselves due to maybe redundancy or uh, having lost a position due to offshoring, they are uh, a contracting by circumstance, perhaps. Um, what with the recruiters in Pioneer, we're seeing um, one of a number of things. People who genuinely don't know anything about what's happening next year because they're not well-read on the matter. Yep. Or uh, people who truly don't think it will impact them because they are they think they're read on matter yep. and they don't think and they think that they are going to fall outside of R35 still yes. in their own personal opinion yeah um or people who are so risk averse they will not consider contracting anymore and i would say that's actually one of the, the, the bigger parts of what we're seeing right now we're seeing a greater number of what i would call lifelong season contractors genuinely considering permanent for the first time okay because it's the it is, as far as they're concerned the biggest change yeah what what's your advice to those contractors and, and to people thinking of contracting for the first time from a legal perspective what's your view yeah so contractors um so within Bruxen, we have, uh, as well as the legal business, we have a large contractor council business, you know, with um, something like 12,000 customers. So we, we're talking to contractors every day, and, and I hear the similar things to you, Mark. Contractors um, seem to have two concerns, broadly speaking, and we can talk about the different groups in a minute, but broadly speaking, they've got two concerns. One, of course, is that there's a potential that they're going to face uh, an impact on their net take-home pay for next year. So having spent the last, well, up to... Uh, 19 years, determining their own tax status. It's now their hirer who's going to determine their tax status from next year. And of course, they're concerned that that's going to impact them um, adversely. Um, the more immediate concern that contractors have is that their their hirer and their agencies are doing the right thing. So, um, and, and what I mean by that is what I hear every day from contractors is, you know, what's my agency doing about this? What's my client doing about this? There is a sense that I get from contractors that, yes, there's the group that you've mentioned, Mark, who clearly believe they're outside. And if they're correct, then, you know, they shouldn't have anything to worry about. Um, there's, there's another group who are perhaps on the, on the cusp of whether they're inside or outside of IR35. 
and they are particularly concerned about what their agencies and ultimately what their hirers are doing to manage this legislation. Because, you know, the worst case for them is that they almost by the default or by accident or by lack of care um, fall within the rules. So they're, they're talking to me every day saying, what's my agency doing? What's my client doing to put in processes to assess me properly? Um, so, you know, the message to all of those, those groups, I think, Mark, is... Um, well, certainly for the groups who are in contracting today, is to, and you know, you might not want to hear this being an agency MD, but you should be banging on the door of your agency, um, and they, they or you should be banging on the door of your client or clients to make sure that they are taking this seriously and putting in, the right, in place the right processes and policies. Because, you know, if, if, if it ends up that, you know, seasoned contractors are determined to be caught by, by the rules, well, yes, there's a challenge process, um, but, you know, ultimately, you know, the rules are the rules, aren't they? But the worst thing that can happen to, to contractors who've been uh, uh, contracting for a number of years is that they are, are considered to be caught and disguised employees just because their own client hasn't gone about this properly. Sure, absolutely. And I think one of the reasons we're doing a podcast is we're trying to roll out the education piece yeah. to, to the people we work with and go to our clients. We're, with the partner search, we're running a number of um, breakfast and lunch meetings where people are being invited in to hear and talk about these changes and um, it's slightly off point but if I've learned anything from what happened with GDPR 18 months ago it's all about making sure that we do the correct preparation look at the new contracts the new agreements the new process and make sure that that all the parties involved behave properly and correctly. Yeah and G GDPR is a, a great example and I, I, keep, I hear more and more about GDPR in the context of IR35 and, and mainly where people talk about you know if you look on linkedin these days there's all of a sudden there's ir35 specialists springing up all over absolutely the place, yeah a bit like there was, <laughs> a bit like there was yeah. with gdpr um and and what i would say to that is that you know if you are if you hire contractors if you're caught by these new rules um you've got to get the right advice you know there it, it's a niche area of tax laws a niche area of employment law you know there aren't many advisors out there who've got that niche expertise when Brooks and Legal's one, you know, of course I'd say that, but we are. Um, but there aren't many, and don't be fooled by these IR35 specialists who are springing up out of nowhere on LinkedIn, because again, you have to picture a scenario as an end client where in two years time, you get a letter from HMRC or a knock on the door from HMRC, and you have to persuade HMRC that you took reasonable care. Well, it's going to be much easier to have that conversation if you've had advice from a reputable business with, with a history in, in this area than a, an IR35 specialist who suddenly cropped up on LinkedIn one day. Absolutely. I think that nicely wraps things up. Thank you very much, Joe. So um, to all the listeners, you've been listening to Mark Warburton, Pioneer Search. Um, I've been, we've been involved in uh, technology recruitment for the past 20 years. And Joe Tully, Managing Director of Brooks and Legal Services and Specialist in IR35 Legal Advice for the last 20 years or so. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Thanks Mark. Thanks for everyone for listening. Thank you.